Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Welcome to RUF, guys. On a love, today was a lovely Wednesday, wasn't it? It's pretty nice out, and uh, appreciate you coming. Although this is week four now, so I've heard people talking about tests, like this week, next week, or when people are starting to have tests and stuff. So I uh, appreciate you coming, even though it's a busier time of the semester. And um, yeah, if you've been coming to RUF, you know that uh, we, well, we look at the Bible each week, and uh, we're going through this series this semester that I'm calling Grace Changes Everything, and it's in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter, and it's a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul sent to a church, and this church is in Ephesus, which was a major city in the Roman Empire. Today, it's in, Tur- it's in modern-day Turkey, but it's just pretty much uh, ruins, uh, but um, at that time, it was an important city, and Paul was this uh, enemy of Christians who met Jesus uh, and uh, became someone who dedicated his whole life to promoting Jesus. And he did that by traveling around starting churches. And so he had started this one in Ephesus, and then he eventually ended up in prison in Rome. And so he's writing from prison in Rome to Ephesus, and he's answering primarily the question, what is God up to? Like, and it's a question that we wonder about, right? Like, what is God even doing with us here? And uh, so it's a really pertinent book. And uh, before I read the passage, I'll just point out, this is a passage that talks about circumcision and Gentiles and things like that. And you know, it's not, these are concepts that, like, categories that we don't really have as much, or we have them in different ways today. And, you know, I'll just say that, you know, if this, in the mind of the Jewish person, circumcision is about distinction. It's about being distinct, and it was a way of kind of separating uh, those who belonged to God, uh, those who considered themselves to be God's people, and those who weren't. And it was a sign instituted by God himself in the book of Genesis. And, uh, but it was meant to only uh, be a sign for a time. And uh, part of why Jesus, part of Jesus's work, uh, what it does is it makes that not necessary anymore. But it's a big issue in the mind of Jewish people, the early church. It's like, is this sign that was from the Old Testament, is it still something that we need to be thinking about? And uh, so there were vicious fights about this kind of thing. But with that in mind, I'll read the text for us. Uh, so this is uh, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh uh, 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Whew. A lot to unpack there. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, would you guide us and give us wisdom uh, and understanding? And would you uh, apply this uh, word to our hearts uh, that you would make us different and more of who we were made to be, meant to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the big question uh, in Ephesians, the, the big kind of thing that Paul is unpacking is this idea of what is God up to? What is he doing in the world? And I kind of, if you were to look at uh, like Christian books today, you might uh, be able to, like the covers of books that are written by Christians, uh, you might be able to guess what uh, is a lot of a perception of what God is up to. For instance, uh, here's a book. This is a great book. It's called True Spirituality. I'd recommend everyone read this book if you were interested. It's great. And what you see on the cover is a long empty path through the woods uh, and you know what's what's it, what's it saying like the publishers choose these pictures not the authors so it doesn't say anything but about the author but you know this is like you know how to live for Jesus you got to just walk alone through the woods uh, this is another excellent book called knowing God uh, one of the best books by a Christian you could ever read actually and yet the cover is just like an ocean it's like you know, what's it saying? Like, to know God, you need to, like, go to the sea or something like that, right? Um, but, you know, it, it's playing on this idea that we have that, like, you know, to know God or what God is up to is, like, helping us to know uh, him individually. And, you know, he's found in nature and things like that. And, you know, that's not all. Bad. And nature is great, obviously. And there's a lot of profound insight we can get into uh, God and by being in nature. But... Uh, What I want to suggest to you is what God is up to, what Ephesians says that God is up to, is he's creating a brand new humanity. It's called the church. And uh, what God is doing is he's building a community, an eternal community of people. And uh, what that means is you can't be a Christian by yourself. You were never meant to be a Christian by yourself. You weren't meant to know God by yourself, but you were meant to know him in community. And so that's a lot of what this passage is about. And I want to look at it under three headings. I want to look at it, as, uh, look at it uh, under the headings of God's goal, and then the problem, and then I want to look at God's solution. So the goal, the problem, the solution. It's first of all the goal. Um, and you know, we could start off by just being like, Paul, why are you talking about circumcision so much in this text? And what you need to see about circumcision is that it was about distinctness. Uh, it was this sign, like I was saying before, that Israel, God's people, had a relationship with God. And 
not only was it a sign that they had a relationship with God, but it was kind of like a sign that you were down with all the other laws that God was, uh, had instituted to make his people very distinct, like the food laws and the clothing laws and all, all the sacrifice laws and all of them. It was this like, overarching symbol that said, like, I'm down with all that. I'm one of God's people. And Now, why did God want his people to be distinct? It's a big question, right? A lot of people still ask this question, like, why do the Old Testament laws not apply now and stuff like that? And what's going on with that is that God, to save the world, chose one people. So God, from the beginning, made a plan to save the whole world by choosing really one person, Abraham, but making a family out of him called Israel uh, to show the world who God was to carry the story of God into the world. And so there's all these strict laws about sacrifices so that when Jesus showed up and was the ultimate sacrifice, we would be able to know what it meant. Or, you know, God made this, you know, centuries-long plan of getting his people to the promised land in the Old Testament. And the reason is so that, you know, his people could be like in the center of the known world when Jesus came and so that the gospel could spread out. Um, I mean, all along, the, the whole big idea was that God was going to make everyone in the world know him through this people, Israel. Um, it's kind of a crazy plan. Uh, I was reading this uh, just the other day about and some of you like biology people might be like, Lucas, you're totally butchering this explanation. But I was reading about the research that's going into uh, fighting cancer with viruses. Uh, have you heard about this? Like one of the main, most exciting areas of research in cancer treatment is that uh, certain scientists are figuring out that you can like inject a virus into a cancer, like a tumor, and the virus will like get inside the cancer cells and then ex divide very rapidly and like literally explode the cancer cell. And they use like a common cold virus and they modify it a little bit. And it's this long, it's also like kind of a crazy plan, right? Like why would you inject a virus into a sick person? But it works actually, but you gotta get it just right. Like you gotta, a lot of work goes into engineering this virus and then injecting it in. And what I want you to see is that, like, if, if, if God's crazy plan is kind of like that plan, then, like, the Old Testament is injecting the virus. Like, that's what God's doing in the Old Testament. He's, he's meticulously injecting the virus so that Jesus can come and really just, like, blow it up. All right? And that's, and that, that's God's goal. God's goal is all of humanity. I want the gospel to go everywhere. Every tribe, every tongue. I want... Everyone, every people group, I want people to be mine. And that's where in this text, like verses 19, 20, near the bottom of this text, it starts talking about the household of God. Uh, in verse 21, it says, uh, grows into a, like, God's people grow into a holy temple in the Lord, uh, a dwelling place even for God. Okay? So where does God want to be found? Among his people. Like, to find God, go to his people. Don't go to a mountaintop or the woods or something like that, even though that stuff's great too. But, like, if you want to find God most profoundly, this is saying, go to his people. Go to where his people are found. In short, we were made for community. And we were made for a particular kind of community where God is at the center. 
Uh, God is found in the midst of community. But one, another way I want to put it, that I want you to see it, is that uh, life is most like heaven when we're surrounded by people, by community, like real commu- good community. Uh, some of you, I've told some of you about my experiences uh, studying abroad in France when I was in college. Uh, I got some study abroad folks here too, I know, at least one. And uh, I can remember going, preparing to study abroad for a semester in the south of France and kind of thinking like, one of the things I really want to do is backpack. Like, I just want to like hop on trains like one day alone and just like go where the wind takes me. And so one day while I was in France, I actually got to live that dream a little bit, which meant that I just got up early in the morning with my backpack and like got on a train and uh, I went to Avignon, which is in the south of France where uh, the Pope was for a time. So there's this amazing palace and these vineyards. And, and I went to other places like where Van Gogh had painted and I saw all these beautiful things. And sadly, it was like one of the worst days of my life because I was alone. Like I said nothing the entire day. And then, like at the end of the day when I was like ordering food or something, have you ever like heard your own voice after you haven't spoken for like 12 hours? It's like, ah, it's startling. It's weird. And I saw all these beautiful things, but what I really wanted to do was like turn to someone and be like, did you see that? You know, look how amazing that is. And by contrast, some of the best, like I can think, I was thinking of one of the best days of my life was a day when I was visiting some friends from college and we got snowed in and we did nothing but like sit around the entire day. But we were, we were joking around. We were enjoying each other. Okay? Think, you think of the best times you've ever had. I bet you weren't alone. The very best time of your life, I bet you weren't alone, which is why we do a lot of community-oriented things in RUF. That's why like, uh, we get together. That's why we go on trips together, like winter conference. That's why we uh, try to get to know each other in smaller groups and all these things, because uh, we were made for community. We believe that the Bible says that the God who made us made us for community. So that's the goal. A community, and not just any community, but a community where God is at the center. Now, here's the problem. The problem that Paul's talking about here is that we take good things that God gives us, and he gives, up, gives them to us for other people's benefit, and we use those things to build ourselves up instead and put up walls against others. And that's exactly what Israel, that's what he's talking about uh, with the circumcision thing, is that, you know, Israel, God made Israel distinct. He said, you have to be really distinct. And the purpose of it is so that you can bless the whole world through your distinctness. You can show them what I'm like. And instead, as the Old Testament goes on, what you see is that they use actually their distinctness to curse other people. And uh, this term, you know, where it says the uncircumcision in quotes, that's like a racial slur. Like, that is like, me, like, this makes like the racism in our day, like, really just seem like child's play. Like, this is very serious racism of God's people. Uh, so they actually build a wall around their temple to prevent any Gentiles from even considering entering to meet God. Now, that was Israel then, but Christians do this today, too. Like, and you see it no more clearly than in the idea that seemingly everyone in the world has that Christians are good people. To be a Christian, to be in the church, you need to be a good person. Right? That's not true. It's not in the Bible. A lot of people in the Bible are very, very bad people that are changed by God. But yet, 
we in the church are kind of okay with outsiders being like, yeah, that's where the good people are a lot of the time. Um, you know, don't we perpetuate this by the way we look down on certain categories of people? Or don't we perpetuate this when we look down on people that don't meet whatever standard we have for what a good person is? Um, you know, who are those people for you? You know, for me, like, sometimes I look down on people that don't struggle with the same sins that I struggle with. Or people that have vastly different interests from myself, and it's easy for me to feel above. But here's the problem with that. If we feel above people, then we probably are missing something very big from God. Like We probably don't know God very well because Paul is saying here that God's all about making it so that those distinctions that we make don't exist anymore. You see that? God is anti-distinction. He's about bringing people together through Jesus. And last week we focused on how, you know, if you were here last week, we talked about how the wall between us and God gets removed through Jesus. Uh, but tonight we're talking more about how the wall between one another gets removed through the work of Jesus. Um, salvation is meant to bring us to God, but it's meant to bring us to each other as well. Okay? That's the problem. We all resist it, though. Okay? We resist it. And, but here's, so here, that's the problem, and here's God's solution now. Um, in 13, verse 13, we see it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, look again in verse 17. It uses this nearness theme again. He preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. Uh, what Paul is saying is that what unites all people, whether you're religious or not, is that we're all sinful. We all find ways to run away from God. We all naturally resist him. Uh, we all take good things that he gives us and we use them to avoid him and avoid each other. Uh, some of us avoid God by living a neat and tidy life so that you know, we have no need for him, no need to depend on him. And others of us, uh, some of us create a bigger and bigger mess in our attempts to run far, far away from God. But what unites all people is that we're all a mess and that Jesus is our hope. He's our only hope. We were all far off. Like, do you know, if you live in Connecticut today, like, you are so far off from, like, you know, God, and, like, God revealed himself to people in Israel, like, thousands of years ago. And, like, the thought that someone in Connecticut could believe someday, could be one of God's people, is insane. Like, we were all, unless you have like roots in Judaism, like you are like a really unlikely person to ever have the possibility to know this God. And we've been brought near, it says, by the blood of Christ. And what the blood of Christ does is it makes Jesus our defining characteristic. Like I'm washed in the blood of Christ. And so if I'm washed in the blood of Christ and so are you, then all our differences are so minimal. Like, that's a crazy story. I was dead. I was lost. I had no hope. All that was going to happen to me was that I was going to live and die and rot and be nothing and waste away through all eternity. And instead, I've been brought near to the king. 
And I have a crazy story. And if you have that crazy story too, then we have like so much in common. Uh, a while back, I saw this movie. It's kind of like an old man movie called Last Flag Flying. Steve Carell is in it. Uh, Brian Cranston, who was in Breaking Bad, is in it. So it's got like some good actors, but it's definitely an old man movie. And uh, it's about these Marines. They're all like Marines that fought in Vietnam and now they're old. And uh, they go on this road trip to uh, find the uh, deceased body of one of their sons who was also a Marine and they have to go bury him. And so it's this like trip, it's this like reunion trip and there's all these Marines in the movie. And it's amazing in the movie how like there's this bond, like, you know, they're going around meeting Marines trying to track down this, this guy's son. And, you know, when they meet the Marines, they say like, where'd you fight? Okay, and then there's this immediate understanding, like we share something big, because bo- we both know what it's like to be like on the brink of death, fighting for your country and somehow make it out. Like we have this amazing, crazy story that unites us and there's this instant bond. And that's what it should be like for Christians. It should be like, you're a Christian, so you know what it's like to despair of all hope until you met your savior and now you have eternal life forever and you get to be with him the king okay you must get me on some level then and what that means is those bad people no longer exist because i'm one of the bad people like it's me god had to die for me that's how bad i was that's how helpless i am here's the amazing part when we come together as god's people that's where you actually experience him like this is saying Paul's saying, we're the household of God. We're the temple. You know what a temple is? It's where God is found. He's found among us. That's what it means to be the church. That's what the church should be. And RUF should be a representation of that too. Uh, So here's the takeaway. That's the solution. Christ, the blood, the church. Uh, If you're a Christian, though, pursuing relationships should be a big part of what you do. Just, it should be a big part of what Christians do. You know, I know you're at UConn to get a degree, to study, to prepare for what's ahead. Uh, but beneath those things, all those things should be an undercurrent of just pursuing relationships, right? Because, you know, you're at UConn to get a degree, but you're alive to be in relationship. Like, it's bigger. Uh, you were made for relationships. Uh, if you've been around RUF a while, I want to ask you, like, You know, is there someone here or that's not here tonight that you could just get to know more just because relationships are good? Or is there someone in your classes or in your dorm that you could just step out a little and get to know more just because relationships are good? Or if they're a Christian, just because you have the most important thing in common and it's important. Uh, Or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you could be someone in RUF who invites new people to lunch like Jonathan and I do, or, you know, whatever it is, what are, who are some people that you could go the extra step toward this week or next week? And as you think about relationships and friendships that you have, do, these, do your friends know you? Do they know the real you? Do you know, do they know what your fears are and what your hopes are and what you're struggling with? Uh, or is it superficial? What I want to invite you to do is be known. Be in real relationship. Um, I often, you know, I get, 
I feel privileged to get to hear a lot of what you guys struggle with and a lot of what the hard things are in your life. And oftentimes you'll tell me something that's been hard and I might ask like, well, who else knows? And I'm usually a little surprised to hear like, oh, no one else knows. And it's just like, man, that must be hard. To just go, to go through really hard things and have no one else know, no one else walking with you, no one else uh, feeling for you. No one else praying for you. Um, But, you know, relationships are hard. They're complicated. I'm a sinful person. We're all sinful. Relationships, therefore, will always be messy, especially if we get close. And they're risky, too, because, like, what if I, what if, you know, I reveal something about myself and you turn on me? Like, there's always that possibility, uh, it can be awkward. I hear all, several of you often talk about awkward. Like, I say, why don't you go talk to that person? Oh, it'd be so awkward. And it's like, yeah, it would. But how can we do it? Relationships are really awkward. How can we do them well? The answer that Paul gives again and again is Jesus. Look, we're all just a mess. Like, can we just lay it all out there? We're all a mess. All kinds of ways that we're a mess. And yet we have a Savior who says, I know about the mess. And I'm not ashamed of the mess. Like, they're mine. They're my people. I'll spill my own blood to bring them to me. I want to be found among them. I want them to be able to know each other, to be close, to be brought together as one. And I can be their God forever. So that's what God's up to, bringing people together so that we can live in the best fellowship forever. Uh, Let me pray that God would make that happen amongst us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, resist uh, community often because it scares us, because there is risk and vulnerability, uh, because we uh, have all kinds of things uh, that make us create barriers and frustrate us about people and there's all just all these ways that uh, we should have more uh, but we don't and we pray that you would uh, work your gospel into our hearts uh, the gospel that says uh, we were so far but we were brought near and we can have true fellowship because of it i pray that you would uh, knit us together knit us together with uh, people that aren't here as well and uh, build us up in you uh, so that you might be found here as we gather week after week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.